One out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome to Autographs. This is episode 16. As usual, I'm Tom Altruzewski, and tonight I'm joined by Joe Douglas and Trey Bond. How are you guys doing tonight? Tom? Good, Tom. Cool. Real quick, before we get started, uh, any of our listeners heard this last week, I'm just doing a quick pitch for the Autonew community, uh, which is a community Niv, the creator of Autonew, has set up. Um, really kind of like a forum-style community where you can go and post about anything Autonew. You can chat with other owners. Some of you may know about the Slack group, which has existed for a little while for, you know, diehard users. Um, but the community is really a place for anybody. You know, you don't need to go and set up a separate account or anything. You just go over there and you can log straight in with your Autonew account. Uh, you can reach it by going to community.autonew.com. Or if you go to your league homepage, you can just go up to the very top. There's a little link that says take you to the Autonew community. Um, so we'd encourage any of our listeners to go over there and check it out. You can talk about different Autonew features, trade review. Uh, get an idea on different strategies, bounce them off other owners. So far, it's been pretty cool, and we're hoping to get more and more owners on there over time. So yeah, um, check that out. You can leave us a message on Twitter or on uh, on this article for the podcast if you like what you see, if you have any requests, or you can post in the community if you have any requests. Uh, so we hope you uh, will check that out, and we hope you enjoy it. Um, let's jump over to our topic for the week, just something that has been really kind of in the air on all the league message boards, on Slack, on the Autonew community. Uh, and that's trade vetoes, which is really not just this year. Every year, it's kind of a topic that comes up in all fantasy leagues, and especially in Autonew, because Autonew is the kind of league that really attracts heavy, longtime fantasy players, the kind of people who have usually pretty strong ideas about how a league should be run. And of course, a veto is one of the strongest things that can happen in a league kind of to breed disagreement or to breed factions that will fight against each other. So it's something that in Autonew, you really kind of want to watch out for and make sure that your league isn't having any kind of arguments over this. Or if something does happen, that you can work it out in a way you know that hopefully will be acceptable to everybody and, and keep your league on a good playing field. So I, I've really kind of broken this down into three different categories that I think all apply to this concept. And we're going to go through each of them here. The first, I think, is really just how you react when you see a, quote, unfair trade happen. So, you know, say you see something crazy. Somebody in your league traded a stud, you know, for only what you think is like a B-plus prospect. And you think, you know, that's not fair. I'm not going to allow that. So your immediate instinct is that's unfair. Um, and really, I think that's the point where everyone in the league has a choice kind of how they react to that and how they're going to have things happen go forward. Um, so why don't I kick it to you, Joe, first? Say you're in this situation and you see that, quote, unfair trade go down. You know, what's kind of the first thing that goes through your mind? Well, I'm probably pissed. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I don't – I think at this point I tend to scale back. Um, I know when I first started playing, I would probably blast the message board um, or sound the alarms or say something. But I um, – I also tended to be the subject of some of those trades. So I, um, <laughs> as I know, <laughs> I, at, yeah, at, at this point, 
I try to either turn off Slack um, or not look at Autonew for like 10 hours or so and see if anyone else says anything. Um, because it's really possible that I am just valuing the trade um, incorrectly. But yeah, my initial reaction would probably be to not be happy about it, especially if I felt like it hurt my chances of winning. Um, but yeah, I think, um, well, we can get into later, like how we would react as far as if we would ever take action. But yeah, I think at least initially I might be a little bit salty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Trey, what about you? <laughs> I, I think I've been playing long enough now to I've seen so many trades that I've had plenty of knee jerk reactions, kind of like what Joe said, where I'm just frustrated if I'm contending in a league and I see a trade that goes down that just doesn't make any sense or seems very lopsided. Absolutely. I mean, there's a feeling of frustration, but I think I've seen so many now and I've been playing auto new and other fantasy leagues for so long that. Sometimes I just feel like, man, I sh it's sort of my fault. I should have jumped on that faster. I should have known what was going on. If I was really doing my job, I should have known that this player or this player was available for a lot less than what I expected. So it's kind of a mixed feeling there of being disappointed um, that I didn't get to capitalize and then frustration because I know that I'll have to sort of one up that deal somewhere so that I can catch up if I'm behind or even if I'm ahead and, and keep pace with whoever I'm contending with. I agree with all of that as well. I I want to add real quick, and this is probably the same for Trey. I typically, um, it takes a lot for me to be surprised at this point. Um, like I might see a deal and be like, ah, I didn't really like that. But um, the feeling of like sheer shock or disappointment off of a deal um, is few and far between the more I play. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. The longer you play, you know, that first season for all of us, we would see some deals and be completely shocked. And now something like that happens and we don't even bat our eye just because we've seen every kind of deal happen. And we've played with owners that value players all over the board. Yeah, and I'll add that, you know, Slack and the auto new community both have done a good job of giving us more context because you know, if you play in sort of, if you play with blinders on and you play with one or two leagues and you see some of those deals come down, you get really frustrated. Like, how is this possible that somebody could trade XYZ for Mike Trout? But then you see other leagues as more and more players are, are talking and within the community, you see that similar deals go down in other leagues. And so you think, oh, okay, it's not just the 12 guys I play with. It's this player might be overvalued in lots of different leagues or this player might be undervalued. So I, I do think that helps and that's helped give perspective on various players. And I'm sure we'll say this statement a thousand times tonight on this podcast, but the more and more you play, and this is not, this doesn't just go for auto new, but the more and more you play, the more you realize that different people value players differently. And so you may you may be very down on Felix Hernandez right now, but somebody else might be ready to jump all over the guy to uh, to see a rebound. So you just never know, which is why you you always take your time and try to ask around. Yeah, I think Trey, you actually wrote an article about this um, early when you guys first started writing for Rotographs, um, kind of about the business strategy of trades, and you said something along the lines of like a trade happens precisely because two owners value a player differently. And it's kind of a way of equalizing by sending along a player that you value less than the owner, getting back a player that maybe you value more. And I think it's easy when you're like the third party who 
you know, you just saw a deal go down. You don't really know how both of those owners value those players. And both of them could be different than you. And that could be different from the other nine owners in the league. Everybody could have something different. So sometimes, you know, even if you're kind of amazed that something went down and you wouldn't have done it, you don't know if maybe it was just coincidence that, you know, the right owner happened to be in the right place for the player they wanted. You know, even if even the other 10 owners might not have done that, if that owner was the right one, kind of, I, I feel like, who are we to say that they didn't get the guy they wanted? <laughs> yeah, I agree, Tom. And what makes it more difficult, I think, in auto new is that it's, it's sort of a quasi dynasty. So usually the trades that frustrate people the most are those where there's present value being exchanged for future value, because I mean, it does happen and you'll see it probably more earlier in the seasons, but you'll say you'll trade a hitter for a pitcher because it makes some sense that, Hey, I'm, I've got an overabundance of pitching. I need, I need a boost in offense. Those are the types of mix and match trades that make sense because you're exchanging one thing for another that can take place immediately. But then you get, to where we are now in July and August and you start seeing teams who need to rebuild for the future and you're exchanging what we what looks like present value for future value and future value is probably the most subjective value to be you know evaluated by everybody in your league so someone might value Alex Bregman who just got called up tonight might value him as a number one potential shortstop for the future and someone might value him as a guy who's probably in the top 12, but he's not worth trading Giancarlo Stanton for. I mean, just, just kind of making it up on the fly. But future value is always very, very difficult to determine because you have different opinions and then you actually have what happens in reality. And those things can be swayed by everything in between. Yeah, and I think um, just going off the example you brought up, one thing that makes a difference in a lot of leagues is the prices of the players, which not only might you value Bregman differently, but say somebody owns Bregman for $5, you know, you might say, wow, that's an amazing deal. And somebody else might say, eh, I don't want to spend that much on a prospect. So there's multiple levels of value going on, not just the player, but you know, their trajectory, people valuing their age differently, people valuing their price differently. Uh, and like you mentioned, their team situation, you know, where are they on the contention curve? <laughs> Tom, yeah, you're, no, that's correct. go ahead, Joe. I was going to say, I think all of that's correct. I think it, um, I, I think the future value deals, and this just echoes what Trey had said before, it, that, that's really where you start to see, um, if there is any, um, arguments between leagues. It's typically over the fact that, like, someone is trading entirely future value, um, for what would be a huge present value increase or what they perceive to be a huge present value increase. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, um, Trey made a point too about sometimes early in the season and in the off season too. I think there's a little less contention because in the off season, there's plenty of time, you know, to see how a deal shakes out. There's a ton of time to make deals when there's no pressure to win right now. I think it's during the season where sometimes you see tempers flare because somebody just made a deal and now the clock is on for you to catch up or for you to make a deal to counter that. Well, in the um, off season, there's no loans either. And that's a big. That's, that's true. Big you see, you don't there. see these so, kind of. It, well, huge player deals and they say oh you're getting that guy for free essentially is a common argument <laughs> yeah I, I think that i think if you saw a lot of the deals now and there were no loans um we would have different reactions but that's not the case within season trades 95 percent of the time yeah so. i definitely agree so um i, I think we've all kind of uh, have similar views on what you do when you see the trade go down and kind of how we try to think through you know other people's point of view 
Um, but let's say you actually see a deal happen that you actually think it's truly unfair. Or or maybe, you know, if we've already said that, we're more likely kind of to let something slide and to see what other people think. Say another owner in the league comes to you and they say, hey, this deal's totally unfair. I want to veto it. Um, you know, where would you proceed from there? <laughs> Do you want to go first, Trey? Well, I think I would go back to something that Joe said earlier, which is, you know, there's a tendency to react very quickly to take to the message boards and crush a trade and ask questions and, you know, question why, why in the world would you value a guy like this or that? I I would say that while I think that's, while that's certainly an option and I've, I've done it in the past, I would say that it's healthy for a league. In fact, there was a comment made recently in the community about, you know, when does your league get to the point where you can sort of jab each other enough making trades to see that, you know, you can get through it. I mean, I do think it's healthy for a league to, to be there long enough and, and jab each other enough where you can make some trades and no one cries enough foul where they're threatening to leave a league. Uh, that's a good situation. But I think to your question, Tom, I don't know, this kind of gets into what you think about the veto, but I'm kind of of the opinion that, first of all, I like the way that Autonew sets it up because it takes seven owners to cause a veto of a trade, which I think is the right number. It's very, very, very difficult to get to that number. So because it's difficult and because it requires so many different parties to participate in something that would cancel a trade, I sort of like the idea of if I think a trade is is unfair, I sort of like the idea of selling that to the rest of the league, trying to get them to, to veto. I might be in the minority of that and somebody listening might think, wow, that's crazy. But I sort of think it's my right to uh, advertise my opinion to say, hey, this is why this trade is unfair. and I don't think I've ever successfully gotten to the point where I've convinced the league to veto something, but there's always the opportunity, I guess. And can I ask a follow-up question real quick, Trey? I, if my understanding is correct, you almost never veto, though. Correct? Is that 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 that's been my experience in playing with you? Right. I I don't think I I may have vetoed maybe five times in six years. Okay. And. First of all, I don't think I've ever seen, and I will get to this, I'm sure, but I don't think I've ever seen a clear case of collusion. And I've been a commissioner of almost every single one of my leagues. So if I have, I can't remember what it was. So I have vetoed a couple of times where I thought a trade was just so ridiculous. And I've seen a few of those. And I'll be honest, I think I might have vetoed one time where I was in a very, very tight race and somebody made... (laughs) <laughs> kind of a windfall trade and I thought, well I have I have no way to intervene here except for, for veto and maybe I ended up being the only one. So that's okay. I don't I wouldn't sometimes admit, it's just like a protest vote almost. It is <laughs> we just to voice your displeasure. You. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Well so I think you touched on a good point. I kinda wanna break this down into a couple different sections if you don't mind, Tom. Sure. So I think we're all on board with uh vetoing if there's collusion, right guys? Oh, definitely. Okay. So I don't think we really need to talk about that. But one of the things that I have realized is it's kind of like a spectrum. So you have like vetoing for collusion on one end, which I think everyone's okay with, um, though that is incredibly hard to prove. And I haven't really seen any instances of that in the five, four or five years I've played. 
um, Otternew. The other side of that is probably just vetoing because I didn't like the steal and it hurts my chances of winning. But everything in between, I feel like, is a sliding scale between those two points. Um, and I think my own like personal capacity to veto really depends on who I'm playing with. So like Trey had mentioned, um, you know that like a league is really healthy if you can like take jabs at each other and no one's really offended because you have enough of a relationship. And if I'm in a league like that where everyone kind of feels that way, I'm much more okay with saying, you know what, I really didn't feel like this trade was fair um, and vetoing it for, for that reason. Um, and I think the reason for that is because as I've played, I see a lot of leagues where um, super teams kind of develop because you have these league altering trades and then um, it'll happen and then there'll be another trade and then there'll be another trade. And all of a sudden someone has $750 in salary and then um, it gets really hard for leagues to recover from that in the offseason and you just have these perpetual winners. And I think the more that I've played, I'm really sympathetic to not wanting that to happen. Um, but again, I say that having maybe four or five vetoes occurred um or having vetoed four or five times in yeah i i think um this kind of makes me think of something you used to say joe i think um earlier in a couple of the leagues where we played together which was kind of that you know if you play in a league and somebody's continuously making leagues you think are truly like veto level unfair that maybe what you shouldn't think about is vetoing and more you need to think about does that guy even belong in the league if there's somebody that's, you know, to a certain point, like abusing their league mates? And I think that kind of plays in here that if you play in a league where everybody has a pretty healthy relationship, you know, you can, first of all, you're probably going to be in a better place to talk it out about different moves. And if you do want to veto, that kind of takes on a symbolic importance. Yeah, I think, um, and I think the ability to talk it out is really what's, what's important. Um, and I think the other thing, too, is like, I, I want to play in leagues that I think are fun. And the more that I've played, I don't think someone ballooning and like winning a league because someone else just wanted to make a trade because they were selling um, is really a fun way to play. Um, so it, like in Brinksmanship this year, I haven't noticed anything um, that I've seen as like truly veto worthy. There have been some trades where and there always will be where you kind of think, oh, I, I didn't really like that trade. Um but there's nothing there's been nothing that's really made me like cringe um i i don't know about you trey but i i kind of see like that as the ideal that i would like where it, i i guess too often i think that owners um are very firmly entrenched on the i will not veto unless there's collusion and i think that that's equally as dangerous as saying i will veto for anything that hurts my chances um because you can allow these really bad trades to happen that affect the long-term health of the league because collusion wasn't a factor. Um, and I think the league is better if people say, you know what, I have one of seven votes and I'm willing to use my one, um, but everyone else can do whatever they want. And I, I wouldn't feel bad if someone did that, at least at this point. Maybe my opinion will change later. <laughs> I mean, I think, too, in terms of communication, you know, like I mentioned before, maybe it's not a case particular where you want to boot someone out of the league but you know that's one way that you can kind of solve problems in a different way and i think you know combined with that is that a league can have the communication about what's expected you know so a lot of problems arise where you come into the league everybody kind of is expecting a certain thing and then midway through the season you start to realize that one owner has really different ideas about what should be allowed and maybe they're really aggressive vetoing, vetoing or maybe they have certain ideas about trades and I think, you know, you brought up brinksmanship. Um, we've all played in the Champs League. 
you know, we've started to play in a lot of these leagues that either have different additional rules or even if they don't have extra rules, all the owners kind of came in with a certain understanding of what style of play they were expecting. And I think that's a good thing that just having that kind of communication before you get to the point of like a drag out veto fight can really help. You know, And in some leagues, the league is going to say, you know, we don't mind if the main method of stopping a trade is a veto. You know, this is kind of a place where you can veto for anything, whether it's that you just don't like the deal or you think it's collusion or anything in between. Whereas there's going to be other leagues where people want to have a, almost more of an arbitrated process where you might not veto a deal, but you'd have a discussion with the whole league about how you want to handle it. And there's leagues that are going to have every kind of solution in between with various rules or things like that, that would address kind of the different competitive balance issues that might lead to a veto situation. Uh, I think all of that kind of comes back to communication. And even if you want to veto a deal, you know, I've always thought the best thing you can do you know, before you contact someone else and say, let's veto this, let's vote right away, is talk to the owner who made the deal and say like, hey, man, what were you thinking there? You know, I, I really don't like that deal. But, you know, can you tell me what happened? Maybe they'll explain it to you in a way that you say, oh, you know, I totally see the logic behind that now. Yeah. And I think I think for me, like what I really want to see out of teams is that they care about the league. Yeah. OK. And and if someone I think the process of saying, you know what, I might veto this trade and like actually having like engaging in discussion about it shows a lot of care instead of just saying like, nope, there was no collusion, so I can't veto <laughs> or, or saying, oh, it hurts. Well, my yeah, on the other so, side, just saying yeah. I'm going to veto that no matter what. That sucks. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> living at both extremes kind of like, I don't know, I just don't, really don't like blanket statements. And I, I feel like the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. So uh, I think that's been the lesson of a lot of our, you know, as we've played for more and more time, all of us have started to realize that there's not always a concrete answer. And, you know, that's just like real life baseball. You know, you never know exactly what's going to happen. You just kind of have to roll with the different events. And the more we play, the more we're comfortable with that because it's just the way life is. <laughs> yeah. I wish there was a way that you could add a comment to a trade. Like there were 11 boxes and each of the 11 teams could, could make one. You get one chance to make a comment kind of like, like to officially weigh in <laughs> just to officially attach that comment to the trade for the future because you know one thing we haven't talked about which joe and i i think we kind of disagree on this but one thing that is important to think about is when do you evaluate the trade so this is always kind of debatable too but trade right now can look very lopsided and i'll be the first to admit that especially when we go back to talking about future value for present value I'll absolutely think, oh, this there is no way that, that trade makes sense. What in the world was that team thinking? And then six months, twelve months, eighteen months later, it works out beautifully for that owner, especially when you're talking about prospects. And so you think, wow, maybe they knew something I didn't, or they just got lucky, either one, but I kind of look stupid now for commenting so heavily on that one deal back then, and now it looks like a big win for the other team, whether the superstar player is having a down year or they got injured or, or the prospect broke out. So we saw that happen in the Champions League, you know, with the Seager-Stanton trade last year, a year ago. Everybody thought, that's the worst trade ever. Why in the world would you trade Giancarlo Stanton for an $8 Corey Seager? And now, I, you know, I wish I had Corey Seager back, but um, it's, it's, great. it's great to see that 
that, that trade worked out in the town that got a seeker. So, so it, really, it really depends on when you evaluate the trade, too, which always, always muddies the waters. Yeah, I think I think another important thing with that, too, is that, like, you can see a trade as unfair um, and honestly believe it's unfair. And it doesn't mean that you have to veto it as well. And I think that that like you can kind of re- you can have a conversation about the trade being bad um, without vetoing it. So I, I kind of want to acknowledge that as well, because I think you and I do kind of disagree on some of this, Trey, but I don't think that it's. Um, I don't think that just because you think a trade is unfair, you also have to veto. Right. right. If that makes any sense. Yeah, and I think that plays back into just like we said about how you value players. Everybody's going to have different values. Everybody kind of has a slightly different feel for how they're going to judge deals, how they're going to act, how, you know, what kind of um, behavior they expect from the league. And that, that's kind of one reason that I always think communication is really the key to all of this. You know, not only in the case of a deal happening, but just in the case of helping you run a smooth league. And, and I think in the long run, these type of veto conversations are just one aspect of running a healthy league. If you have a league where everybody gets along and they communicate well, chances are you might have some veto discussions, but you're not going to have a really drag out fight over what people expect. Um, and, and the same thing, if you have the kind of league where people are having a drag out fight and people are expecting wildly different behavior, that might be a league where you need to put a little more effort into managing communication among everybody and trying to help everybody not necessarily get on the same page, but just to be able to communicate so that everybody understands where other owners are coming from. Yeah. Um, I, I would want to, unless you guys have any other comments, um, kind of move to the third segment here, uh, which is really about how you can foster that kind of communication. Do you have any other comments kind of about what to do in the situations before that? Did you want to talk about when we judge trades at all, Tom? I know that was mentioned briefly by Trey. Um, I mean, well, maybe if you want to chat about that for a second, I know you've kind of spoken about this in some articles. Yeah, I think, um, and and this is just my personal opinion, I I am not of the belief that looking down the road a year and a half and saying, oh, I would have done the trade means that it was a good decision at the time. I think for me, it's almost entirely based on, is it a good decision at the time? So for example, you might trade right now for uh, Alex Bregman, who's just getting called up. but you have to look at like the range of outcomes. So maybe in a year and a half, Bregman ends up being uh, Corey Seager or whatever. Um, but he also could end up being so, like a worthless back total bust. player. <laughs> yeah, and and so I think I think a lot of times when you see these deals, um, at least the prospect deals, it's easy to look back and say, oh wow, so I traded this fifty dollar or $49 Andrew McCutcheon, and I got Alex Bregman for three. And Bregman ended up being amazing. <laughs> and it's like, yes, um, but, and McCutcheon isn't a good example because he's terrible right now. Um, maybe <laughs> maybe like Carlos Gonzalez or whatever, okay? Um, it, but I think that it's, like, it's also likely that Bregman ends up being nothing. And so, like, just to look at, like, the conditional probability that, like, Bregman ended up being good doesn't make the fact that you gave up an elite player for one prospect a justifiable move, at least in my mind. Um, Well, it doesn't, I think it doesn't inherently make it good or bad. You know, you have to judge it, like, you said this before, to judge it based on how you perceive those players at the time. So if Bregman goes on to become A-Rod, 
yeah. you know, you can't look back and say, well, I botched that because there's no way we could have predicted that today. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it, and it can certainly work out. And there are certainly player uh, present value for future value trades that I think are good trades. Um, but but I don't think that the justification then becomes, oh, well, I hit on this prospect. So I knew what I was doing. Like I knew Corey Seager was going to be elite. Everyone thought he was going to be elite, but like he easily couldn't have been. <laughs> so it there's always risk and there's risk with current players in the majors and there's risk with prospects. And I think you just have to evaluate risk when you make the trade. And um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I talk about, I talk about Byron Buxton all the time. You know, there were some discussions about people paying 15, $17 for him. And I mean, I don't want to call the record on his career right now, but so far, you know, you can't really argue he's been anything but a bust. Yeah. If you went ahead and traded, you know, Mike Trout for Byron Buxton a couple years ago, chances are you feel pretty bad about it. That and doesn't if you necessarily him for Corey Seager, you're probably feeling really good. But right, exactly. It's... That you know, either way doesn't necessarily make the deal good or bad. It's about, you know, what deal did you get at the time? Yeah, that that's kind of my belief anyways. But l- let's move on to what you had wanted to talk about originally, because I kind of interrupted you. <laughs> that's so. all right. Um so yeah, so the last thing I wanted to talk about is something um I think in the three of our leagues has really become much more active over time. And I think that's really helped our leagues, which is that owners have become much more communicative, not just in reaching out about a trade and kind of having more dialogue there, but also about communicating to the entire league, especially in the Champions League. We had, you know, a little kerfuffle early on when a couple trades were made where it kind of came out of nowhere. Nobody knew that a certain player was on the move. And we, you know, people griped a little bit. But over time, what we did to correct for that is that we fell into this routine where most of the time, if a big name player was about to move, the owner of that player would say, hey, you know, just uh, letting everyone know I've got an offer on this guy. If you want to jump in, go ahead. And I think that's really helped in the Champs League, not only to help all the other owners so they don't feel like deals come out of nowhere, which just that reduces like the shock value and it kind of makes everyone feel more comfortable. But I think it also really helps the owner of the player because, you know, we see so many times when a deal goes down, a bunch of other owners will say, that's a terrible deal. I would have offered more. How could you have accepted that? And then, you know, you go to them and you say, well, what would you have offered? And they say, I'll give X, Y, Z. And the guy who traded the player, you know, they they might feel one of two ways. They might say, nah, you know, that sucks. I would just keep the offer I got. Or they might say, well, crap, I, you know, I wish I would have known you would have offered that. I would have taken that deal. And in the Champs League, this really helped us because we don't really have those surprises anymore. So the owner of the player has an easy way to reach out to the rest of the league and everyone kind of expects this. It's become just kind of something we're comfortable with. And I think that helps a lot. Uh, And I think in general, any kind of communication helps a league, whether it's, you know, this type of shopping players is kind of how we refer to it. Or like I said before, just being open about kind of the style of play that you prefer. Um, I think all of that helps. You know, what do you guys think? Are there any other maybe pieces of advice you'd have for leagues that, can help them kind of have more comfortable communication? Well, I'll jump in. I mean, first of all, plus 10 points for using the word kerfuffle, Tom. That was impressive. <laughs> um, I, You know, I I agree that it does help the health of the league to communicate when you're about to move a player. I don't think it's required. I mean, I've had some debates in the past about whether or not you have to let the league know if you're about to drop a, a bomb with a major – uh, superstar player. I don't think it's required. I I think it can help you for the most part in most cases because it 
lets the league know that uh, you want to get you want to get as many buyers in the deal as possible if you're selling a, a superstar player. Uh, you know, I guess the only advice I would have is that if you're selling, take the extra step to be patient and then to send those notifications out to the owners. And personally, one thing I found to be, I guess, beneficial is if I'm going to make an announcement, let's say I'm going to sell Mike Trout, which I don't do very often, but let's say I'm going to sell Mike Trout. I'm going to probably announce it to the league. Hey, Mike Trout, I'm getting some questions about Mike Trout. He is available. But I might actually take the time, if it's somebody that has that much value, I might actually take the time to go to each individual team, if not all of them, most of them, and specifically say, hey, look, I'm I'm considering moving Mike Trout. These are the players that I'm interested. This is sort of what I do in the, in the preseason or right after a draft takes place in a league is I go line by line on every team and just say, hey, look, these are the players that if we were able to make something happen, these are the players that I like. So I would say be be specific and be targeted in what you're looking for if you're moving a major player. Now, if you're on the other side of that, if you're buying, then you know you don't uh, you don't usually have a ton of leverage unless uh, you're the only buyer. In which case, you can negotiate that downward as far as you can. But uh, so I, I do think it definitely helps in a league to to notify owners on an individual basis rather than only notifying publicly. I guess is my point there. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And actually, um, you know, you and I have had some deals that worked out like that. Uh, we made that trade for Jake Arietta in the Champs League, where uh, I acquired Arietta. I'm just looking up the trade here. Um, I got Arietta, Alex Wood, Luis Severino, and I sent Archer. Uh, Francisco Lindor and David Dahl to you, plus some five MILB guys on both sides. And that really came about just because, you know, we were chatting about different guys we liked from other teams. It, you know, it was more of a direct negotiation than that you were actually selling Archer or that you were selling Arietta or I was selling Archer or Lindor. Uh, you know, and being able to have that personal communication really helped us kind of make something out of nothing. There wasn't much pressure for either of us, but because we communicated, that deal came together pretty easily. To go back to your original question, Tom, um, and kind of the idea of like, when do you have to announce? I just wanted to address two things. Uh, first of all, I agree with you, Trey. I don't think you have to announce. Um, I think it is more important that announcements are made if you want to keep like good relations within the league at the beginning of the year. So if you're trading off someone key in May or June, um, I, I think that it's just a good step to make with everyone. And that kind of leads into my second point as far as fostering relationship. It's a general, like, treat people how you want to be treated, <laughs> you know? And yeah. I, I think that, like, if you are a nice person to people in the league, then, like, other people will be nice people back. Um, and no one really wants to play in a league with someone who's a dick. So just... <laughs> be nice, you know, and if you think like, hey, you know what, I would really like to know if like a key player was moving, then like let people know. Um, because it doesn't really help anyone to just be like, oh, I'm going to trade this guy because I like this deal. Um, you can still take the deal that you like, but like you don't lose anything um, Man, I, by I'll letting people know and by being nice about it. So it, In a league I'm in recently, and I can say this because I'm sure the guy I made the deal with is not listening to this podcast. Uh, we made a trade and this league has some special rules that kind of govern how you can make a trade so we made a trade and then afterward he was unhappy about it he you know he wanted something else but he had accepted the deal and then kind of wanted to do something else like to make it fair and he was a huge jerk about it on the board 
And within like two days, everyone in the league was messaging me like, man, that guy was a dick. Like, I don't know why you made a trade with him. And I was like, yeah, I wouldn't trade with him again. You know, so just because he was willing to like put other people on blast on the board, he hurt his ability to trade with probably most of the owners in that league because they feel like if they trade with him, he's just going to go pull something like that again. And I think this goes back to even beyond trades. I think this just goes back to like having relationships with the guys that you play with. I mean, none of us have met in person, but like just being willing to have discussions, being willing to engage in like casual banter, I I think lets everyone in on a little bit of people's lives. And then it's like they actually become people to you instead of just names on the Internet. Um, Right. It's not like you're playing against the computer. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot easier to just be nice when it's like oh this is another person um and i think that's the big thing for me like it i feel like it is nicer in air quotes for the people in the league um and i would probably appreciate it if someone said hey you know what it's the middle of may i don't think i have the pieces this year but i was considering moving this guy if you think that i shouldn't feel free to talk me out of it but like that's where i'm leaning and like being willing to be convinced that you are wrong i think is like another big thing so if you're thinking of selling, like being willing to be talked into not selling is another thing that's probably important. Well, I totally agree with you guys too. that. Uh, I don't think, you know, this idea of shopping a player should be required. I think it's more just something like you said, that it can help you maintain relationships with the league. It's and depending courtesy. on your situation. Yeah. And depending on your situation, you know, if it's going to help you gain leverage in a certain deal to not mention it. You know, you should feel free to do that because you have to look out for your team. But I think everybody kind of has a good sense of like, you know, you know, if somebody else did this, would I be pissed or would I be like, hey, good deal? And if you think you'd be pissed, maybe that's a situation where you have to say, all right, maybe I should let the league know about this just because I, I would appreciate it if somebody else let me know. Yeah. So I want to go back to, you know, this we kind of kick this off about vetoes. I just want to make a comment because I think it's relevant that. We didn't really talk about it, but, you know, commissioners have the ability to essentially cancel, I guess you call that a veto, a trade. And, and I, I've been only the commissioner. If it's on a, only if it's on a holiday weekend. Well, <laughs> that's that's what I was about to say. I mean, um, you know, unless it's Christmas, Fourth of July or Easter, you know, I don't think there's ever a situation that would, I, I guess be relevant for a commissioner to cancel or veto a trade on their own or bypass the natural process, the natural voting veto process in auto news specifically, unless collusion is apparent, which again, I've never seen it or two owners come to you and say, look, we didn't mean to accept that trade. We were still negotiating, which has happened once or twice. I've seen that before, but we have had, I've seen trades where someone, you know, they honestly just, they hit accept and they didn't mean to. Right. And the other owner is like, that's cool. Take it back. You know, I don't want to force them into that, you know, unfairly. (laughs) But I I mean, I feel strongly that there probably is almost no scenario outside of collusion where the, where the commissioner needs to step in and cancel the trade because they feel like it's unfair. I mean, there was a comment on the community recently, a guy made a comment about a trade that happened in one of his, I don't think it was auto new, but something else. And he stepped in and canceled it. And I just, most leagues, I mean, you know, we have a community now of almost 700 players, owners who are playing fantasy baseball on a daily basis. And I would say a high majority have made comments related to the fact that they just don't want commissioners who meddle in the the trade scenario and, and let it play out. So if you're a commissioner, 
you're one of the four people listening now and one of those four happens to be a commissioner, <laughs> don't don't uh, don't cancel trades in your leagues. It's let it play out and uh, make sure you gather all the information you can before something happens. To to elaborate on that a bit, real quick, um, I I do think that you need to make a distinction though and say the commissioner still has a vote and you are not a bad commissioner if you veto a trade. I would still encourage commissioners if they feel strongly about a trade to feel like they are allowed to veto and that like as a commissioner you are not forced to abstain. Um, I do think. But you mean to be clear to veto through the existing system? Yeah, to veto through a vote. Um, yes. Now, granted, it would be one thing if someone was like, you know what, I am traveling this weekend and I won't have internet access. If a trade goes through, can, you know, like if there was like ex- extenuating circumstances or whatever, then feel free um, to make some decision on like an ad hoc basis. But I wouldn't do that without the approval of the league and certainly wouldn't make that call on my own, similar to what Trey mentioned. But Well, I, I think that's another good situation where communication comes in handy. You know, if yeah. somebody posts on the league board and they say, hey, guys, I'm going to be away this weekend. If anything goes down, do you mind holding off until Monday so I can have a say? Then I'd be totally fine with it. If something goes down and then, you know, 10 minutes before the veto window is about to end, somebody comes in and they're like, hey, this wasn't fair. I wasn't around. Nobody should have done this. You know, then I'm going to have a little less patience because I think it's kind of on you to communicate ahead of time if you're going to want – I don't want to say special treatment, but if you have like a situation that you think the league would need to be aware of, it, you should make the effort to communicate that to them and that will help you ensure your own safety that if something happens, everybody was aware and they can look out for you. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, uh, unless you guys have any other comments, it seems like we're kind of wrapping up here. <laughs> yeah, what's the time, Tom? Uh, well, this is going to be hard to tell. Um, Justin hates when I do this, but I'm going to pull back the veil and let people know what's going on on the recording side of things. Um, we've actually recorded this episode in two segments, so I'm going to go ahead and guess at the time, and then uh, maybe I'll record a little tag at the end and let you know how close I guessed. Looks like we've got about 26 minutes here, uh, about 20 on the other one, so I'm going to call this at 46 minutes. We'll see how close I got it. Okay. Um, yeah, and then... Uh, for anybody listening, like I said, if you want to check out the Autonew community, we're trying to get as many Autonew owners on there and really make that a vibrant community where we can chat about all sorts of stuff. So go check that out. And we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Well, for anyone that made it this far, you know the podcast was more like 42 minutes. I went back and checked. Uh, if you have any complaints about the missing four minutes that I estimated, you can direct them to Justin Vibber, who demands the timing on all these episodes. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Thanks.